Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. Welcome to the ISA podcast. My name is uh, Brahim Korak. I am uh, 22 years old and a student here at uh, the Vrije Universiteit. Uh, I'm the current president of ISA, Islamic Student Association Amsterdam. Um, and I'm very happy to announce, uh, yeah, to be launching this podcast with you all. I will be your host for the day together with Samira. Uh, my name is Samira Ibrahim. I'm currently studying at the TU in Delft. I'm active in several uh, Islamic organizations in the Netherlands. And yeah, let's start. Bismillah. And uh, today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Altaf Hussein. Um, Dr. Altaf Hussein is an associate professor at Howard University School of Social Work. He has a lot of publications on religion and spirituality. Uh, you did a PhD focusing on displacement, the life of immigrants and refugees. Uh, you're the vice president of Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. And uh, you're also the vice president of ISNA. Uh, and I saw your resume, it has more pages than my thesis is going to have, <laughs> mashallah. So we're very honored to, uh, to have you here. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Altaf? Sure. So first of all, I want to thank uh, you for organizing this podcast. And uh, I make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that indeed you, many people will benefit from this. And I mean, that I mean, uh, people of different backgrounds will find uh, meaning and, and, and a good message from, from this podcast. I mean, so course. basically I come to the Netherlands uh, at the invitation of the University of Utrecht. And so I uh, provide guest lectures in their in courses there. And then I'm able to also then um, uh, connect with the Muslim community uh, in the Netherlands, not only the M MSA, the M uh, Muslim Student Association, but also in, in the community itself. And so I'm very happy to be back. I've been coming for almost uh, over 10 years now. Yeah, yeah. To, to and you just had a lecture that you did uh, past Wednesday. Yeah, about uh, uh, bigotry and racism as public health hazards. Yeah. Can you tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about the lecture? Yeah, so we, we had uh, uh, discussed topics with the board of the MSA and we realized that, you know, this current environment, especially in the United States, but also in Europe, um, is uh, showing uh, increasing tendency or uh, towards bigotry. Uh, against people particularly of religion uh, of, uh, of, or who are religious. Yeah. So even in the U.S. we had a lot of anti-Semitism um, uh, rising as well as uh, uh, bigotry or hatred against Muslims. So we thought this is a good topic and that there are there's clearly an impact on people, you know, in terms of their mental health and their physical yeah. health from suffering these things. So we said, let's discuss this and keep it open, uh, the topic, so that it's not just about Muslims or Islam, but just as human beings. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate it very much Thank bringing you so much. the yeah. bringing this uh, uh, this knowledge from abroad to the Netherlands and yeah. having a discussion about it. Um, so, like I said, we're uh, the podcast is the ISA podcast, uh, ISA Islamic Students Association in Amsterdam. Uh, we have a big following of students, and uh, before we uh, dive into what you currently do, we want to zoom out and go back to uh, Dr. Altaf as a student. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason is that uh, when we see inspiring people, we see the final picture but we forget that they were students also at the moment. So we would like to know more about what kind of student you were and um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, it began for me, you know, that uh, my uh, father uh, had come to the US uh, to do his PhD and then my mother and my sisters, we joined him later. So that when I came to the US, there was always growing up, my parents, uh, mother and father, after we would go to the masjid, they always uh, had uh, involvement in the masjid, but also um, involvement outside the masjid. So at the time I would be very you know, upset 
because we were finished and we were tired, maybe we want to go home, do homework, then we have school the next day. Then they will say, no, we have to go and visit so-and-so. They're having, uh, they're not well. We want to go visit them and make dua for them. So-and-so, they lost their job and they're very uh, stressed about that. We want to go and comfort them and visit them or, or different reasons why. And at the time when you're young, you want to go home and you want to just play and, you know, and uh, uh, go about your own life. So, but I realized that it kept in my mind the importance of service, that the idea that all those people, anytime we saw them after that, they were very appreciative that, oh, you came to us when we needed you. And, you know, uh, there was a, 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 like a, a need in our life and, and we felt so good that, you know, you came to visit us. So when I came to the university, I followed the typical model of everybody else. So they said, you know, they, to do engineering and to do things that would be for immigrant families, um, a good life. You know, right. medicine, engineering, law, these kinds of things. So I was very um, um, focused on that. But as I stayed in the university, uh, and, and I hope we will talk about the life of staying on campus and those who stay away from campus and yeah. commute. Right. Because we should at some point talk about that. Because So I chose to stay, it was half an hour, about half an hour away from my family. So I stayed on campus. And I found uh, from the very beginning, I was involved in organizing and it was not about Muslims. It was just organizing for the sake of, you know, bringing students together. So we, we had a biomedical engineering society. I was in that. We had, then we realized that we have uh, the need for the Muslim Student Association. Then um, uh, I'm also Indian. So there's Asians, Asian Americans. So then they said, well, we don't have an association. So let's make an Asian American association. Mm -hmm. uh, then other, they were, you know, so supporting uh, student organizing. Then over time, while I was working on that, um, ultimately, I was finishing the engineering degree and uh, focusing on systems and control engineering. And I realized that, um, uh, or actually Allah SWT sent me um, basically a sign. So I was so involved in the activities, so involved in the uh, organizing that I reached the level of being the, the president of the graduating class, yeah. not Muslims, the university. So sometimes maybe you you think you have done everything, like, you know, what, what more is there? I mean, so it was, uh, uh, we finished Eid prayers mm -hmm. and it was maybe uh, three or four weeks before we were, we were going to graduate. And uh, we were driving back from the Eid prayers with my uh, roommate and friend. And uh, I was sitting in the driver's seat. And as we were driving, it was raining a little bit and the other friends were driving. And uh, somehow he lost control of the car. And as, as he tried to, you know, to brake, he spun and the car spun and it hit. And so we were close to campus. So I think that's why I took off my belt. And so when he wow. hit the telephone pole the, on, on his side, on my side, it, it uh, made the door uh, fly open and I fell into the street. Wow. And, you know, uh, and I was injured, you know, and uh, not terrible, but it was a very difficult time. And so when I was in the hospital and I was, you know, trying to think through it, I said, subhanAllah, just like that, you would have been gone. Yeah. So whatever you were doing, you know, you would have been finished. So what do you, do you want your life to end like this? Just with the engine, you know, as an, as another engineer who will go into the lab and do things and you will never use your talents to help others. And how old were you when this incident happens? So I started university very early also. Maybe I was like 17. So this would have been maybe around 20. I would have been 20 okay. years old. 
And that's when I, the realization, I said, you know, I should do something different. Right. So I, basically yeah. at 17, you were very, uh, you active. followed the, the, the traditional trajectory. Yes, yes. You were very active and yeah. then the incident happened yeah. and it made you rethink about how you were uh, navigating in life and Correct. the choices that you were making. Correct. Um, yeah. So what happened after that, that incident? What, what changed and what differences made, did you make to your right. so daily life? For, first of all, it um, delayed my graduation by about one semester because the thesis and all of those things, you know, uh, uh, it was difficult to complete in, in, the, in the short time. But it also, I was going to combine it with engineering and MBA, the uh, master's in business administration. Yeah. The, the model of, you know, money, research, like that. Yeah. Then I realized that maybe when I talk to more people, there's another uh, a whole dimension of management and administration but for non-governmental organizations right. who do humanitarian and relief work. And then I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So if you're doing engineering, then you're doing a corporate sort of business, then when do you do this? Yeah. This other part. Yeah. So some people say, oh, do that on the weekend. You know, when you have mm -hmm. some time, then you can do that. But if inside your, your own heart, you feel like that is my life, then should you do it on the weekend or does that become the main life? And then you try to figure out how to, you know, navigate that. And so it took time. And then I ultimately applied, you know, for the, um, uh, for the master's program in uh, social administration. And that's when I started the route for social work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As a student, I have a lot of uh, talks with other students and I know many people who have those desires as well to uh, focus their work on helping other people, but um, from their parents or maybe close relatives, they always get the advice. No, you just focus on your career and yeah. that's important. So how did you deal uh, or what do you advise them with, um, yeah, with this kind of struggles? With balancing? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, a very individual journey. Because if you think about that now, I was, this was in the 90s, right? Now there are apps, there yes. are all kinds of, you know, uh, scheduling devices and this and that. So if we have all that, why are still people having trouble with time management mm -hmm. and these things? Because it's individual. Everybody knows how much sleep he or she needs and how much he or she really wants. So when you say to them, sleep, you know, less, they said, I can't. You know, so eat less. Yeah. Well, I can't. Yeah. Okay, why? You know, so for me, I feel like you cannot uh, uh, basically make like a manual to say, do this, do this, and you'll be fine. Each person has to go through those challenges. When they go through the challenges, if they keep making, uh, praying to God for guidance, hopefully <clears throat> they will get the proper guidance to, to, to be rewarded for their struggles. So if they're really trying hard to balance time and energy, so then they will say, you know, I noticed when I'm working on my papers or my reading that without thinking about it, I eat a lot of food and then drink soda or this, and then I come and read and then I cannot focus. I can't. So, okay. So take it away. Yeah. Do less. Yeah. You know, which is why fasting for Muslims is so yeah. important that our uh, you know, which is a verse from the Quran, which says that so that you may achieve higher consciousness. It's because most of your energy is spent up here. You're not digesting lots of food and drinks and things. Yeah. So students have to go through this. And it's, it's very funny because each person will go through his or her own journey. 
Some of them will do wonderfully in academics, but they will fail with social relationships because they're just focusing on studying, studying, studying. They push everybody away. And ultimately, they don't even know how to interact with people. Right. And others will do too much yeah. organizing and fun and everything else. And then they will have very little in academics. So I say to people like yourself, who are maybe in master's degrees or PhD programs, to take a few of these people as your younger brothers and sisters and, and just advise them from time to time. You cannot, we, we can't be their parents. Right. So we can at least say to them, you know, I noticed, you know, that you used to come to our uh, study circle, our prayer group. Yeah. Um, uh, why is it you're not coming? Just asking, you know, is it transportation? You know, can I help you like that? Things like that. Yeah. yeah. That brings me to a very uh, interesting question for me to um, you when you were a student. Did you have any mentors through your individual yeah. journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I did. I did. Okay. And so for me, the interesting thing was that I had both uh, people who were students, uh, older students who were mentors, but also in the university administration, the the dean for student affairs. So they, some of them in the staff, they found that they really wanted me to succeed. Yeah. So they always took time to, you know, to, to ask about my affairs and how am I, you know, keeping up and because they know that I'm serving the community uh, through organizing, right. but they don't want to, you know, me to be stressed about other things. So those were helpful people, uh, uh, you know, when I became agitated, uh, one time, uh, one of the reservations for the room, uh, was made, but then the person, when I came there, who was a very senior person, uh, who is the management of the building manager. And uh, I was stressed because we had so many things happening. We had speaker coming this. And I think I raised my voice or I was um, uh, impolite. And the other one observed that I did that. He didn't correct me then. But later he said, you know, it's not like you. What's happening? So how does this happen? Because we care for each other. Everyone has to be looking out and saying, okay, what's uh, the main issues with this person? How can we make uh, 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 them improve? And how, but how do we give them space to do it? Not be forceful, you know, to manage it. Right. Yeah. What we also hear from, a, from a, a lot of students is, like you said, there's not a black or white uh, plan or trajectory that you can follow yeah. to manage your time. Uh, but a lot of students, um, um, they have all these uh, different roles that they are trying to manage. Um, and it's very easily to occupy yourself, uh, especially in these days, and to, to be busy all the time. Yeah. So how do you distinguish the things that are fundamental and most important and the things that are not as important? So how do you uh, prioritize yourself as yeah. a student? And did you have specific goals when you were a student that you set for yourself? Like, I want to achieve this? Yeah. Or did you, did you follow it more uh, naturally? Yeah. So in university, the challenge becomes is that you are in a setting whereby you are basically free. You, nobody will come to check if you are studying, not studying, sleeping, right. awake, eating, eating too much, not eating. And yet there's a schedule. You cannot just walk into the campus and say, I will just take, you know, my mathematics in this time and my physics, there's a schedule. And yet the, the, the idea of the body has rights. So if I just say, well, I will just stay awake all night and socialize. And right. so 
each of these things is basically a force which which the person has to come to acknowledge what's important. So I again the manual is not there. What's important is to find find out what role I want to play and where my best energy can be used. Sometimes maybe you you feel like oh I want to be organizing or involved. Yeah. But really you're not that good at it. <laughs> and you you make everybody's life miserable. You stressed everybody out. So after some time if somebody advises you it's okay to back off and say, you know what? I'm better uh, in the background. So maybe I will help with the setup and the arrangements and these things. So that's a part of self-awareness. Self-awareness, right. yes. Very beautifully said. Yeah, so self-awareness is a big deal. And the self-accountability that also I find myself, people cannot trust me over, they say over time. So we asked you to be here, you didn't come. We told you to come at this time, you came late. Right. We expected you will complete this for us. You didn't do it. So if each signal doesn't send me some level of improvement, I will have a problem. Right. But what's most important is that for Muslims, especially for people of faith, that the prayer schedule, if you protect the prayer schedule, everything else will fall mm -hmm. into place. If you protect the prayer schedule. So if you know I'm going to have class at this time, another class at this time, and I have this much time to pray, and you focus on that, then you will make a schedule in such a way that you protect the prayer, and the goodness of the prayer and all of the connections to it comes from protecting the prayer. So suppose, like it happened to me, yeah. that I was looking for articles you know, in the library or books and topics I needed, and then I'm also worried, I don't have much time, I'm stressed, everything, so where do I pray? Well, let me go to the library and pray. So I'm going to one aisle, there's books, there's some people, another aisle, books, some people. I'm just not paying attention. I go to another aisle, okay, I want to pray. I finish, I finish praying, I sit, I look this way, and I realize the section I'm in is the books that I need for the paper mm -hmm. that I want to write. <laughs> I'm stressed and looking everywhere, right. but Allah says, or God says, that if you, then if you're protecting the prayer, I'll come. So the role, is father, you know, husband, sister, brother, you know, son, daughter, those are roles from family. But your real role is to be uh, responsive to your God. And if you protect that, everything else we'll starts to place. yeah, starts to fall into place. And that's uh, that makes it much easier, you know, to function. Okay, so uh, we understand from what you just said that religion was playing a central role in your uh, life as a student. And uh, you also said that as a student you are free. So no one checks after you. So what motivates you or what was the reason that religion plays such a big role in your life as a student? Um, so mother and father, mother and father. And that's, you know, so I went to university and um, I was living in the residence halls in the dormitories. And every day, every day, of, uh, minutes before the Fajr time, my uh, uh, room phone uh, rings. Right. It's my mother hmm. for Fajr prayer. And when I left for university, she gave me like my own musalla, the sajada. So I still have that. So what happens is that, and you, and I still made mistakes, of yeah. course. So, yeah. but it's not that, but the idea is that someone else wants you to protect your Islamic identity and to be, you know, fairly within the, the religious teachings. Right. Then 
they are just making a phone call to check with you. Then you find other good friends who can, who do think like you do and who will support you and motivate you. And then you, when you do make mistakes, you come back to God and you say, you know, uh, you seek uh, basically forgiveness and repenting. And then the support system says, it's okay, you'll do better. The parents say, we love you, you know, you'll do, you, you'll, you'll be okay. That kind of a relationship keeps you focused. And then you find that when you are praying and uh, you are succeeding, there's a connection between the success and the prayer in this life. So you keep doing more. So it's kind of a thing where if I didn't see any evidence for it, maybe after some time I give up. But right. in this case, others were encouraging, right. parents were encouraging in this ways, yeah. So you basically had a support group around you yeah. who, who kept you focused. Yeah. Uh, who helped you manage all the the obstacles that you that you yeah. uh, that you saw? Um, so one of the things that you mentioned is you lived on campus, um, and that's also something that students um, have a hard time deciding about. Uh, should I uh, live in uh, on rooms, yeah. or should I stay with my parents? Right. Um, so what's your perspective? Um, on uh, a student, a religious student, or, or a student with a bicultural background, yeah. um, living on 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 rooms or yeah. staying in house. What's your so take it, on again? That? It's a very individual situation. Right. Why is that? Is because suppose some people um, had never lived away from their family, yeah, their parents, and then it's too much freedom sometimes. Right. When they're coming to the dorms or living there. Now also we have more chances to do research. We have so many, so much technology to be able to find out all the information. So you can check and see if it's in this dorm, um, what is the living arrangements like? Is it with people of similar thinking like mine? Um, even in the US now, we have uh, the dormitories sometimes, they are by themes. Like these are the ones for like, um, almost like the studying people, right? right. That's the, they, they put them, you know, if, if they want to stay together. But the, the, it still matters who you are and how you manage yourself. So if you find that you get along with people from different uh, backgrounds and religions and these things, then the, to be in the, the dorm rooms, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's better because you already get along with them. But if you have trouble with change and you cannot really get along with new people, it's a problem because that's supposed to be your support system. That's supposed right. to be your social life. Right. Also now, and I think I'm hoping that the Muslim Student Association can, is doing this, is that you can create a, 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 a section or a, a place online for people to talk and say, oh, by the way, I'm starting in engineering and I'll be going to TU Delft and I'll start in 2019. And so I'm thinking ahead, is anybody else considering living in, on campus? Okay, so let me, let's meet, let's talk, just like we would for anything else, for business, for marriage. So you would want to know who is going to be the person who's there. And we have the technology now. So right. we should be, we should not be like uh, so scary for, uh, because parents, of course, this is their children. But if you show them, we have a whole process, a system where we look, we match the personalities, we, we see who is the, you know, similar major perhaps in terms of what they're yeah. studying. And then they should feel better. They said, oh, you know, I think it'll be okay. And then you can even meet all of them before, and then you, you form your own uh, unit and you can stay there. So it, it matters, but I do know that our programming sometimes is directed more towards the people who live on campus. 
And so we have to consider doing uh, events sometimes in times when it's easier for those who commute also. So maybe do it earlier in the day so it doesn't get so late, right? So we have to accommodate them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also, what I find um, really interesting is you have been the two-time president of the, the MSA mm-hmm. of uh, the U- US and Canada, uh, and you do a lot of social work. So you're very uh, involved with students. Um, so instead of us filling it in, I would like to ask you, what is the main challenge that you see that students are facing right now? Um, and how would you advise them to, to go about that challenge? There are several challenges. Mm-hmm. But I can also say that organizing in this day and age compared to organizing when we were organizing um, is amazingly different because you have the tools at your disposal to organize. So that's an English word, tools. But there's another word almost sounding like with the ta is tarbia. So you have the tools to organize, but maybe we are not focusing enough on development of character and development of um, uh, uh, learning and knowledge and you know c- combining those so that people who serve are the are improving constantly about who they are and not just focused on serving because at some point they will get tired and they will right. get frustrated but if there is a way to get them to be using those best tools so one of the things i tell people is that look around you right there's so many issues Your main, main function on campus is to be a place to make everybody feel comfortable who follows the mission of your organization. So if you are a student organization dedicated to you know, environmental issues, then everyone should feel comfortable. If you're a religious group, everyone should feel comfortable coming. You should not be the judge of that religious group. You should be focused on welcoming them. Then students are also in this day and age, so many social justice issues. But you can get frustrated because you might think, oh, we'll never solve anything. It's too, too much. much. Yeah. Too much, yeah. So uh, what I would say is that you would start to specialize and say, I'm not concerned. It seems so much about international issues. No problem. No problem. You're still a good Muslim. Focus on what you're concerned about. Maybe it concerns you a, a homelessness in, in, in your own country or hunger, people are still, you know, uh, without food, or um, uh, the issue of healthcare, improving healthcare and, uh, uh, you know, unemployment and other other major issues. So if you get overwhelmed, it's because you don't know where to go and what to help with. But if you choose and be specialized over the three, four years you are in the bachelor's program, uh, particularly when you have more time usually than master's and PhD, you can at least show some expertise because you read always about anything that happens, let's say, with homelessness. So you know now. So anyone who asks you and you uh, share with people, knowledge with people, you can tell them, yeah, in Amsterdam is this situation, in The Hague is this situation, and so on and so forth. The biggest thing I'm wor- I worry about is that maybe students will become overwhelmed and give up. Okay, I have a question on this point because um, as a student, especially when you get involved in um, student activities and you start to uh, look around you and see the social problems um, in your neighborhood or country or whatever, um, 
yeah, you have your study which you want to excel in and you want to do good in your student activities and you want to uh, help or try to solve the problems you see around you. You want to keep a kind of balance in your family relationships and uh, maybe, yeah, because also of the social media we have now and uh, everyone is trying to profiling him, him or herself and you are seeing so much successful stories of other people and when something maybe is not going as good as you want to see it, you start to think of yourself as a failure. Mm -hmm. So we see that very a lot of uh, students are coping with um, kinds of burnouts, uh, a lot of stress. Uh, it's very obvious that when we uh, as student activities organize uh, events uh, about stress or how to deal with stress, you have a lot of audience. Mm -hmm. So that uh, shows us that there's a, uh, that is something central uh, in the mind of students that stress is a problem and that they have that problem. So how do you like, look at that problem and did mm -hmm. you struggle with that as well? Yeah. And do you have some advices? Yeah, no, thank you for that. And it's important and I'm glad that you um, um, are uh, concerned about that because it's a big deal. And those of us who are in organizing, we have to care about everybody with us. And the people who are, you know, organizing with us, and as well as the larger uh, uh, students and the student population. So one of the interesting things is that if you think about what causes them to be stressed and what causes them to be uh, really um, um, too worried, right? It's going to be very, very rare that it's something so unique that nobody else has that same stress or same worry very rare maybe once or once in a while you get someone so what i say is try to pick the common themes which help people which cause people to be stressed or overwhelmed with it what's always funny muslims we live by time everything in our life with the five daily prayers we know it we know that each month has a particular significance we know that when ramadan comes our schedule shifts to you know, to the morning meal and the you know iftar, the evening meal, the prayers in the evening. All so even though we're so scheduled and we know all these things, somehow when we come to the university, we forget all of this aspect of our identity. Hmm. So when does stress happen? It usually comes associated for a student close to when it's dealing with academics, the weeks, two weeks or three weeks before exams. So. How about having programs that are very relaxing, just a, some socializing, some brief message to tell them that we know you will be stressed. We know you will be worried. Okay, many of you who are first year, you know you are worried that you don't know what will be in the exams. So we say to some of the more mature second and third year students, when we have the relaxing environment, okay, you go in that group, and just talk about what's going to be, what kinds of things come on the exam. Uh, if you have same professors, what do they usually, you know, are they more in terms of essays or, you know, what kinds of question formats? I like that idea. This it's very can, applicable for yes. student activities to organize something uh, like that. But that's all we should be doing. So what, yeah. what happens is sometimes we get too stuck on thinking, how can we be very unique? What's something unique we can do? And then we say, okay, let's do, you know, more Quran. Okay, alhamdulillah, you know, that's fine. Say, so, well, let's do tajweed. Okay, that's fine. But the person who is stressed, what's the source of the stress? At the time, at the time, it's the test. The time is the exam. 
So give them some, uh, you know, ability to relax about the exam so that they can feel that you are relevant to them. So the next time you organize something, they have a good memory of the program you did. And right. You are working on a need and not creating a need. A need. So, Correct. Um, Correct. Yeah. 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 So this is one of the you know, things I would suggest is that you uh, look at the mental health of people and it is growing. Mental health issues, it's growing. It's growing in uh, our parents, uh, ourselves and then potentially as you get married and have children you'll see some you know challenges with them so how do we overcome that yeah, yeah. and we so we are in a student association isa islamic student association amsterdam um and what we find really interesting is sometimes people might have a uh, assumption of islamic student association being an association that only organizes um activities for their own community um since you have uh, done a lot of research on uh, diversity um, and, and different communities within being an ethnic minority in a yeah. society, what should be in your in your in your in your perception be the vision and the drive of a Islamic Students Association on a campus? Mm. Um, and what added value does a Islamic Students Association or a religious Students Association bring to a campus? Because yeah. what we sometimes hear is that people say. Um, that a university uh, is an academic uh, academic uh, environment and we should keep religion out of the academic environment. Yeah. Um, what is in your um, yeah, vision, the added value that an, a religious student association can bring to a campus? Yeah. Well, first of all, religion will never leave the academic environment. Why? <clears throat> because before every exam, every student, even if they don't believe in God, they pray. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they didn't study. Yeah, they say, oh God. Even they don't know what God means. But they know, oh God, this is going to be a difficult right. thing. I didn't right. sleep, I didn't right. eat, I didn't read, I have 10 chapters, I'm going to fail. Suddenly Just like when the airplane has yeah. turbulence. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, discover yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. They this is, so, so it's never going to leave, yeah. uh, even if they say it's, you know, it's not part of my life. But the, the more important question you're asking is that what's the purpose of organizing as Muslim students on campus. Right. So what we cannot ever forget is the first and foremost is to meet the spiritual needs of the students. And that doesn't mean to judge them. It just means to provide and facilitate their ability to learn, to practice what they learn, to worship by organizing the Friday prayers, if it's Ramadan, because now, by the way, we were blessed for many years that Ramadan was coming in the summers. Now Ramadan is moving to the academic year. Right. And it will be earlier and earlier, and it will be during classes. During, yeah. So the first major thing is, are you helping everyone? Because they will be all stressed, but a few organizing should take care of the, the, the facilitate for, for them. Beyond this, it's a support system. It's for them to help learn and to benefit from their experience on college campuses, but to be able to have someone to go to who is um, older than them, maybe in, a, in years or mm -hmm. in, in terms of age or also in their uh, uh, rank, right? They may be uh, doing master's degree or graduate program and to be able to go to them for advice and networking, career, all of these things. But the more important question you asked about the bicultural, uh, you know, and the diversity and, and how do you go beyond yourselves. So the MSA or the Student Association must be open f to in, in, in its mission 
to Muslims of all backgrounds to begin with. So let's begin there with diversity. Right. So we cannot say this is, I'm Indian, so I hope I will look for other Indians. Or Samira is Egyptian and she says, you know, uh, the other people, I don't know about them too much. I'm going to try to make things as appealing to Egyptians or Moroccan or whatever. This is not possible. It cannot be the case. And from our religious teachings, we know that we must be open for everyone. But it also doesn't mean to limit it to just Muslims. Meaning that whatever programs we do, we should consider the benefit it may have on other people. So for example, uh, we organized um, uh, through the uh, MSA N N Netherlands, the lecture on Wednesday uh, here in the Free University yeah. uh, of this year, of this week. Uh, the topic was, and I kept it intentionally open to say uh, treating uh, bigotry and racism as public health hazards. Nothing to do with Islam. So anybody who should read that topic should say, you know, I'm worried about that. Any minority, even if they're not Muslim, if the marketing of that program says the person who's coming has some expertise, he or she is going to teach us this, but I love my classmates, my you know other friends and colleagues, yes. my professors so much that I would want them to know about this message. So I would invite them yeah. because if I told you that there was a sale in some you know uh, uh, store, right. and if you go there at nine p.m. after they they're closing, but if you go there at eight fifty-five, everything for those five minutes it's is free. eighty percent off or free, <laughs> yeah. even even more, yeah, even more exciting. It's free. I mean, how many people do you tell? Even people you don't know in the lift and on the stairs, running in the hall. Hey, come, come. So why don't we treat uh, our programming? as something relevant and important and applicable to other people so that we will miss them if they don't come. Right. You follow that? Definitely. And, that, and, and that, that means for anything. Suppose you do a career management or career you know, a preparation workshop, invite everyone because there's nothing Muslim about having a career. Everybody wants a career. Yeah. That's why you come to college to get a degree, education. If you do final exams, um, studying techniques, and some of them are experts. Maybe you want to broaden that. So you go to other student associations, to the minority student associations and anyone else and say to them, we want to make a panel. And one of you, one of, you know, another one and from another organization, another organization. And these panelists will be the experts to share their experiences. So maybe one of them says, I failed every exam. Right. And then this is what I did, this one thing, and it changed. Her experience will be so helpful to so many people from different religions, different ethnic backgrounds, but we sometimes keep doing programming for ourselves. We talk to each other and <laughs> just like now we are shaking our heads saying, yes, yes, we're, that's what we're doing. But there's so many other people, hopefully as they listen to this podcast, who will say, yeah, this is a great future. Right. I can go and join them you know, in their programs and their lectures and I would benefit from it. And if I can improve, then they did a good job, right? Right. In right. in terms of the, right. the return, yeah. Yeah. Before we go further, I want to um, go back uh, for the last time to um, Dr. Altaf as a student. Okay. If you um, right now, with uh, Alhamdulillah, all you achieved and um, yeah, the positions you are in right now, if you look back at um, Altaf as a student, what is one advice you would like to give him? 
to that guy. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, many years yeah. ago. He's not a doctor yet. <laughs> yeah, he's not a doctor yet. He's not yet. Student stressed. Exactly. Yeah. Is um, uh, I can say that it affects people's health. Is that um, uh, sleep? Mm. Okay. So it's a very practical thing, but during adolescence, uh, just one second. During adolescence, right? Um, uh, youth, we always feel we don't have to eat or sleep and we'll be fine. But reality is that the body regenerates itself, and that's why even in Islamic teachings, the sleep was created, you know, for a reason. And it says in the Quran that sleep is a part of your rejuvenation and you know of your of your uh, subata. Like the the Quran says, it's there for you to you know to improve uh, in your condition. That's one thing I know. Uh, in terms of health, uh, has affected and will affect uh, uh, as you get older. So I would say that let's not do programming and let's not do organizing and let's not do meetings so that some of us may be okay without sleep, but slowly we will pressure others to give up sleep and maybe we are affecting them, their health, their ability to concentrate. And worse, they may not wake up for Fajr prayer because of our poor organizing. So sleep would be the advice, that sleep in a, in a way to manage it so that it doesn't right. become a liability to your health because our bodies are trust and amana, they're trust, so that we should you know, uh, make sure to take care of them. Right, uh, yeah. so as a student, it's yeah. really important to manage your sleep. Manage the sleep, but not right. sleep all the time. Right. Just to be sure, yeah. <laughs> Don't edit the podcast, yeah. <laughs> we'll be yeah. sure to put this yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. so, um, but I like that one because uh, it's a very basic need. And um, when you think of advices, people always go to um, very unique or... Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Not, but not basic needs. So yeah. when you say sleep, it's it's a very basic need, and yeah. it's really something which students don't manage well enough. Right. And it probably me as well. So <laughs> yeah, and it could also be because I'm jet lagged and I want sleep. <laughs> so the first need I tell is yeah, go to sleep. Yeah. Um, so I always say that this campus is like a, a mini society, mm. society in small and. Um, uh, this campus and society in general is becoming more diverse. We are seeing uh, new groups coming in um, and it's just getting more diverse in general. So what do you think is the role that a campus or university plays having uh, high educated students from uh, various backgrounds? What role does a, a university and, and this group play in uh, the bigger image of society? And um, you know, what is the role of high educated students within society and, and, and what responsibility do we have? Yeah, and uh, it's a very important question because you're right, the, um, uh, diversity is, is, uh, is increasing. Um, college campuses are very special places. I've spent, since I was 18 years old, 17 years old, 17 years actually, yeah, till now, uh, almost every year on campus, except for one year when I was working for a non-profit organization between my master's and my PhD. And the reason I think I keep going back because it keeps you very in touch with the latest trends. What is the latest trend? Because students have time, they have energy, uh, the latest technology, um, very uh, idealistic. You know, we can change society, we can, so it keeps you moving. It doesn't take you away and then you feel like, ah, oh, I feel frustrated. 
but also what it does is provide safe space. So, for example, if you never met someone from another ethnicity or nationality or even socioeconomic background, because maybe, uh, alhamdulillah, praise be to God, you, have, you were raised by a family who had enough money or you know, decent amount of money. So you never met anyone who didn't have money. And on college campuses, you come to find out that you can become friends with them. You can study with them. You can talk to them. You can learn about their experiences. And there is no judgment. Because for that uh, time period, you have one thing in common. You are both students. Right. You cannot be a rich student or a poor student in terms of finances. Meaning you have stresses, different stresses, but you are students. Now, if the poor student in terms of finances and the rich student in terms of finances put effort to get ahead, both of them get ahead. So maybe you don't know someone from a different nationality or ethnicity or a religion. Or maybe someone told you, and for the sake of politics, sometimes politicians are very you know, mean. They're very uh, 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 harsh people. And they, they, maybe their marketing campaign says, hey, if you want more votes, then go and put this ad about this minority or this immigrants or this refugees or this religion. And maybe you are from that religion. And you feel, how would I ever meet somebody from the major society? Well, in college, that person is your classmate. They sit next to you. Maybe they have a question. Maybe they missed a class. You say when they come back, oh, I noticed you were not in class yesterday. Do you want to talk about the notes? Do you want to? And they say, oh, I, I never knew that you would try to help me. Why is that? Because I was told that. And then suddenly in a safe space, you can start to have a human conversation. It's not really possible in society. You stand at the bus and it comes every few minutes. So maybe the most you can say is, oh, it's raining again. That's it. <laughs> and then you move on, right? And uh, you're in a lift, it's a, you know, in the elevator, it's a short ride. You might say, oh, you know, nice shoes. Oh, great. Oh, thank you. And you leave, right? But in a college, you see the same people, the same schedules, approximately in terms of classes and, and, uh, and exams, and uh, you're able to interact with them. So it takes initiative to grow as a person and to appreciate that diversity in the university. I don't know of anybody who goes through a university experience who takes some initiative and doesn't become a better person in whichever way. Maybe they are a person who was very selfish and they find out in the university, even if there's just one glass of water or one bottle of water and there's a few, five of us, they said, no, no, let me take a little bit. Let me, so we are sharing. The person never was used to sharing. They watch people sharing or they have too much money and yet they see the person with the least money is the most generous. They're learning qualities from them. Why? Because day after day, they see them in the cafeteria, in the classroom, generous with their notes, generous with the uh, explanation. The teacher explains, I'm a professor. I know sometimes I may say something and it's not clear for my students, but they help each other and they're able to go. And so the person who they never interacted with, so it's amazing how much can happen on college campuses. Right. And you can also confront people, but you know that it's not like the lift and it's not like the bus stop where I can say something to you and then leave. You know, oh, you foreigner. And then the bus comes and then I go. In a campus, oh, you foreigner. Hey, oh, foreigner again. <laughs> the same foreigner is back again. So you see the person, there's no way you can run away from them. You have to meet them. You have to learn about them. Especially if they're Muslim and they're well-trained, 
even if you are harsh against them, they will constantly find ways to be patient with you and open doors to get to know about you. Even if you're harsh, right. even if you're angry, even if you're making fun of them, they will always just say, you know, we, we can still be friends. We can still be friends. And that's powerful on campus. So right. the importance of keeping looking for common grounds to yes. um, create yeah. good relations. Yeah. I have a question um, on this topic as well, because um, we are now talking about um, bicultural backgrounds. And um, those are, yeah, um, they see the students might see themselves as a minority and they might have some insecurities about their bicultural uh, background so my question is um that um he look at it, uh, he looks at it as a burden and not at some uh, not as something uh, to enrich the mm -hmm. community and enrich the campus so from your perspective what are some points of enrichment yeah. because of your bicultural background yeah and this is um you know again an amazing thing for college campuses. Because what I tell people is that if you initiate good, and if you uh, only do it in a small capacity in the first time, maybe you'll think you didn't succeed. But slowly, the fact that you are struggling to do good things will catch on, and then it's infectious. Like people will say, oh, I want to be a part of that. One of the simple things to be done to bring people together is international food festival. <laughs> I don't food know anywhere, anywhere in the world where someone did an international food festival and they said, yeah, nobody came. <laughs> Opposite, always. We thought 10 will come, 50 came, we had no food or not enough food. Right. Sports, right? To feature the sports that are most common in those cultural, in those uh, particular national backgrounds. Uh, to ask people to speak about their themselves. So oftentimes what happens, people feel marginalized. Nobody cares about my background. My background, as Samira said, is a burden on everybody. So who would want to know? No, you make a panel, you make a, uh, a, a program so where you celebrate. And so you say to people, uh, we would have a poetry reading and you bring the themes which are most Uh, loved by your culture. Oh, that's a nice your one. Your background, I right? I love poetry. And you, yeah, exactly. And 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 that see as it made you happy because it's something you like. Now you, as an Egyptian living in the Netherlands, will listen to someone who is coming from Africa, and they have a, a nation in Africa, maybe West Africa. You are from North Africa, and yet you never heard poetry of what themes they emphasize in their language. What is important? What is, you know, is it nature? Is it God? Is it, you know, is it people? Uh, is it love? What, what is the theme? And so we have to be creative in looking at this diversity and bicultural you know, existence and, and, and not be a burden on top of the burden that people already carry. So if we're creative, I think people will say, wow, I want, you know, sports and food and, and uh, poem and poetry and entertainment within limits. You know, of course, you don't want to say that uh, because we, we are a Muslim student organization. So we have certain guidelines we have to follow, but it's such minimal guidelines that generally speaking, it's very wholesome. Everybody would enjoy and nobody would be offended. And yet the person who especially, imagine if you could reach one person who goes through their whole life in college feeling like nobody cares about my people. Nobody wants to know about my people. My people are the ones who they see in the news as the burden, as the, as the one who is causing the problems. And someone comes and says, 
tell us about how you think about the solution to poverty or solution to you know uh, healthcare problems or uh, even the idea of better better healthcare you know or sorry better diet and food and nutrition or economics or whatever topic aerospace engineering whatever the topic is and that person suddenly feels oh my god somebody cares about what i think somebody cares about what i feel and your uh, programming was the reason for it right and then you document it, you record it, you put it you know, online and you spread it. And then they can say, oh, wow, this is us. Everybody feels honored when their nation or their religion or their particular even small neighborhood is mentioned. Right. You know, in, in, in the news. I yeah. think it, it gives a very good image for the university itself that um, they have the space for yeah. um, international activities. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and we're recording this uh, podcast at the Free University. Right. Uh, if you go to the lift, Samira, welcome to the university. <laughs> I, when I went on the lift on Wednesday, and you saw it, I think, also. Yeah, yeah. The, in, the, in the elevators, they have the different faces. Yeah. Large faces. Right. A little bit scary because too big. <laughs> <laughs> but it's there, right? To, to celebrate, as you mentioned, the yeah. diversity. And, right. but so, and then some people may say it's superficial if you only put pictures and do nothing else. But because there you have the podcast and the university is so supportive of you, we commend and we thank the administration of the Free University for being a champion of the rights of people from different backgrounds. And then we use that to promote more more uh, tolerance and more diversity, more appreciation of diversity. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, Dr. Altov, uh, yeah, you have uh, achieved a lot in your uh, academic career, but also when we look at your current um, functions you are a board member at the american muslims for prosperity action fund you are vice president for al yaqeen institute for islamic research you are also a chair strategic reorganizing and planning committee of isna and a member board of direction of directors muslim students association national is that for america or MSA canada national, yeah. okay but a lot, a lot of uh, functions and also you have your academic career so how do you stay sincere in doing all this work without getting um yeah without yeah yeah so if you think about how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens um doors yeah and then he closes some doors so maybe you wanted to work in an organization or work in a particular cause and it never came, the opportunity. And then you are going about your life and then uh, somehow other opportunities come to you. Then you have to choose. Are you going to be selfish and say, no, I don't have time, I'm married, we have four children. Or can you say, I will have to make some compromises, some sacrifices and my particular skills or the expertise is helpful in this area, in this area. So then you choose very selectively on how you can help and where you can help. What's the most important thing is, in terms of sincerity, is to keep reminding yourself that your job is to find someone better than you to replace you. Hmm. So do the work until you find someone or train someone to do better than you to replace you. Hmm. While you are doing that, stay sincere by choosing a particular problem. As we were joking before, engineers, we like to solve problems. Choose a particular problem or a challenge or an aspect of the organizing that you know you can do well. And it, does, it takes from you less effort than other things. So, for example, um, 
the idea of uh, raising funds. Uh, every organization talks about how can we have more money? How do we find more money? So this is something I am doing. I have been doing now for almost over twenty years. Okay. So that I can share my expertise. It doesn't take much effort. I have you know at least some experience with it, uh, uh, traveling the U.S. and and also Canada. So what is it like? Strategic planning is something I have experience with. So I'm the chair there and trying to take an organization that's almost thirty-seven, forty years. And how can you change it? Will anybody agree to the change? How about the old people, uh, old leadership and the new leadership? So these things take time, but it's also something you enjoy because in the end, you will see the change that you are trying to to create. Inshallah. So it supports self-awareness, knowing where you're, yeah. what you're good at, what you uh, are uh, better at than, yeah. than another person. Yeah. And then finding a specific problem that you are going to solve. That's right. Within That's right. your expertise. Exactly. Right. But I have a question here because you say we try to, uh, to look at which we are good at, but um, at the same time, um, a person always uh, likes to improve himself in other aspects as well. So how do you create the balance of focusing on what you are good at and at the same time trying to, um, exp um, how do you say it? Expand Broaden, and grow. Yeah, expand Yeah, and I mean, so on the one hand, um, you end up, um, you know, making sure that you <clears throat> read and that you stay ahead of the, the trends and that the best practices and uh, these things. But then you also look for mentors who are in that field, who are who have done more than you. And you choose them selectively and you seek advice from them and you consult them uh, before you take actions. So this keeps the process growing. You look for the one who can replace you. So that's people coming up. You look to the people who accomplish more than you. So you're looking up. And then the cycle continues because the person who left is was probably looking and trained you to replace them before they came. So you're replacing them. You're, hmm. So they're learning from you. You're learning from them. And the cycle can be completely like that. Most sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And um, so it's basically about self-awareness, knowing what you're good at um, and finding a specific problem that you are going to solve. Um, and um, within that part of self-awareness, uh, um, when we look at the statistics, we see that a lot of uh, students from uh, with a diverse or bicultural background um, that there are too little uh, diverse students who pursue uh, doing a page PhD. Mm. Uh, and this is also something that um, universities recognize as being a challenge that they are facing right now. Um, and we hear a lot of diverse uh, or students with a diverse background um, having doubts about doing a PhD or not. Um, should I continue in the, in the workforce or uh, should I uh, pursue my uh, academic career? Um, you did a PhD yourself. What would be your advice to a student who is doubting uh, to do a PhD or not? Yeah. So for this question, <clears throat> we have to look at the immigration patterns and also the kinds of concerns that people who are not in the majority or who are minority and immigrant in a society, how they look at each other. So if I look up and I look for PhDs from my background, say who are Indian in social work and Muslim, so it's very few. So then I say, oh, it doesn't look like my, my people go into this field or into this you know, uh, level of studying. Then if you look back at immigrant families or uh, people who are minorities, they are having to work harder to get to the same level, perhaps, as the majority. 
So when they make the calculation, it's very practical. They say, you know, if you keep studying, 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 when will you provide for your family? So bachelor's is enough, maybe master's. But after that, you will spend another six, you know, five, six, seven years and you're doing a PhD and uh, you have to take care of your family. You have to provide for them, this, that and the other. So it's better if you just, you know, do the master's and get a good job and continue with life. Now, the difference is that we say that in master's, even in master's, you're still uh, consuming knowledge. It's only in the PhD when you start to create knowledge when you are generating knowledge, when you are studying problems and, and trying to uh, uh, look at solutions and being creative and making a dissertation and a thesis that's very in-depth, then you start to realize that, oh, I have a contribution to make. You go from consumer to producer. Producer, yeah, exactly. Mm. And mm. so you have a contribution to make, so you can say then, you know, uh, uh, how to do this. Now, what's also interesting is the university administration, most of them, don't put enough energy. So I'm excited to know that uh, the VU administration is asking uh, this kind of questions. It's yeah. excellent. But then we have to start investing resources to market the PhD to the minority and bicultural students. Right. To show them role models, again, by panelists and seminars and other relaxing events where they can go and say, you know, Dr. Samira, you studied engineering. You know, why did you make that choice? You know, wasn't it a sacrifice? Uh, even, especially, you're a woman in a field where there's such few women. So what, and so that kind of uh, uh, casual conversation helps people to feel less anxiety less intimidated intimidated yeah. and uh, maybe see they see a pathway of how they can accomplish something that someone else did right so it's not only a problem from the students but also from how the universities promote their correct. phd programs correct and also okay. investing resources in marketing but also in scholarships and to provide enough support for the students yes. so that they are not having to work part-time jobs and do the PhD, take care of the family. So we need new models to finance and to support the PhD students and also to show them the amazing uh, uh, benefit that they will, a contribution that they will make to society right. if they come and study. Right, uh, right. Yeah. And uh, to uh, elaborate on that part, um, contributing to society. Um, you've done a lot of research on uh, diverse communities. Um, what is in your perspective, um, looking at the history of uh, especially uh, diverse um, people with a diverse background and religious people coming to a certain country? Let's be really frank. I'm gonna be really frank with you. How can we best manage um, participating as Muslims in society, because there's an assumption that whenever you become more practicing of your religion, there is this assumption that you distance yourself from society and you stop participating as you used to because yeah. of the restrictions that are put onto you. Yeah. What is in your view, um, the role that uh, religious motivation can play in participating in society and adding to the larger skill from a religious background? Yeah. So for this, because you asked about particularly about religion, and I'm I'm Muslim, right. and so the the identity is coming from that. So oh, please bear with me, so I can make some references to our religious tradition, so that you can see what I'm talking about. Sure. So the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, 
when the first revelations, revelation began to him, the immediate commandment was not to stay in the cave in which he was meditating. It didn't say, now that you are the prophet, stay here and watch everyone and see how they're doing. No, it actually, there are two surahs specifically that talk about these things. So one of them is uh, Al-Mudathir. So Surah Mudathir is basically a one in which Allah, God is saying to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So he refer references to him, the one who is wrapped up, the one who is, you know, covered up to, to, uh, uh, to rise, Qum, rise, so which is already a movement. So don't stay, don't be passive, don't be away, rise. And, and then it talks about the idea of purifying or to cleanse the clothes, which is a consciousness to say, in what condition am I in? I'm not going to just, if I, yeah, if I'm staying at home, um, I'm not going to go anywhere. I know I'm not traveling anywhere. I'm not going outside even to the restaurant or the store. I'll just dress in casual clothes or my, maybe all day somebody's in their pajamas because they're not going anywhere. But when I start to engage society, I have to then uh, come to society in a way that's presentable, acceptable, modest. But all of these things mean engagement is involved, expected, because there's a, a mission to be carried out. What is the mission? So you, the mission is to try to serve uh, uh, humanity so that you can serve God. <laughs> I mean... And humanity doesn't say Muslim only. It says humanity. And within humanity, you could even expand it and say creation. So that now there should be people talking about the, the, the uh, idea of um, uh, helping the environment. And how do we preserve the environment? And how do we you know, at least minimize the impact of climate change? And if I'm sitting in, in my own home or in my masjid or church or synagogue, just praying that things will improve, it's not going to happen. If I feel my religion inspires me to do good, then I have to go outside and actually begin to do good. <laughs> I cannot just keep saying, you know, the religion says do good. They say, well, what are you doing? Say, well, I'm telling you to go and do good. Why aren't you coming with us? <laughs> you know, why don't you come with us and, and, right. and do good? And which is why I began with the example of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that there is always in his life examples of where someone thought they were sacrificing more. And when they turned to him, it was always that he was sacrificing 10 times more than what they thought. If they didn't eat today, he didn't eat in two days. You know, if he, uh, if in terms of spending in sadaqah and, and charity, then he's giving whatever he has, and, and he has nothing uh, left in his home, just basic, you know, uh, uh, minimal requirements uh, uh, for sustenance. So we have to say to people and challenge them, those who say, both Muslims and even faith, uh, you know, inspired people, and those who criti criticize them, those who say, oh, because of your faith, you stay away from society. We say you are wrong. We're going to show you how you're wrong. We're going to engage the campus, engage the community, engage the neighborhood. If there is crime and drugs and other issues in the neighborhood, then we will come together and we will do it. And if the Muslims have to lead it, we will lead it. <laughs> and if you want to join us and lead together, let's lead together. But then we also say to those who are becoming more religious, don't move away from society because you think that's what is expected of you. No. Because if you're becoming more religious, take more time maybe to, to uh, learn and practice and, and perfect yourself, but always have 
a percentage of effort to come back to society, always. And if you can do that, then you're balancing between, and this is why it's amazing, many verses of the Quran, they combine two things. They combine belief, which is individual, with doing good deeds, righteous conduct. So iman and amal salih. So these are, these are the two words of belief. So somebody may say, I believe, but that's not enough. So believe and do good deeds because you're inspired by your belief to do good deeds like that. Very um, enlightening insight. Uh, because based on what have been said now, um, when people go back to the origin of their religion, back to the, for example, for Muslims, they, when they go back to the Quran, yeah. um, people should not be afraid, but they should be relieved because actually if they practice it well, they will not only benefit themselves as yeah. a person, but only be beneficial for the whole society. So, right, um, right. And, and we, are, we are having to work 10 times harder to market our religion Because people who are against the religion have done a thousand times more to market their uh, 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 imagination about our religion. What do I mean by that? When you said uh, pray, read Quran more, pray more, uh, fast, then in the movies, if somebody is watching the movies who is, doesn't know anything about Islam, you said pray more, you'll become religious and be a better person. In the movies, they show a young man The camera comes in, he's like this, he says, Allahu Akbar, he moves his hands, he is praying. The next scene, he bombs something. So they say, prayer, bombing. Oh, so if I know, oh, you're going to go and pray more? Oh, that means you're going to do more things to hurt society. Yeah. No. There's this false, asso false association. association. But it's so powerful that now I have to undo all of those associations and how much effort am I putting? And that's where the MSA, right. the masjid, the society, the Muslim community has to say, let's work 10 times harder to show how praying, it brings me closer to God. But because I pray, I also have to care about my neighbor, right. my elderly neighbor, my you know society, creation, all of those things. What's, oh yeah. What's also really interesting about that is that you speak about doing having deeds doing deeds, deeds. that uh, that uh, that uh, enlightens the community yeah. um, and I think that's really important element of that because uh, what you say there's a, a certain association that is created by the media by yeah. by by all these institutions yeah um, and in my perspective the way to combat these and create positive associations is not by defending ourselves constantly right. and and saying that Uh, I am not bad. Yeah. I am not bad. I'm good. Please believe me. Yeah. Like for example, if I if I say to someone, "Hey, I don't steal," yeah, and then I say, "But but really, yeah, I I really don't steal." Yeah, and then the next day I say, "I, I, I really, 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 yeah. really don't steal." There's this association that yeah. you are creating yourself yeah. unconsciously, yeah. and. I think the way to to create these positive associations and to combat these associations that are created by the media is to, like you say, provide a good experience to yeah. someone, be good of character. Yeah. And what's your vision on that? What's the best way to counter uh, these associations and create other more sincere and realistic associations? So if you uh, look to counter the full media uh, and entertainment and that industry, That will be difficult. We don't have the budget, of course. We don't have the budget yeah. and even the time and the skills, expertise. But if you target individuals at a time, one old neighbor who is alone and in Dutch society, that's where we are now, 
that uh, the number of people who are aging is getting higher yeah, and aging right. alone. Yeah. So they will look to their neighbor. They will look to their, you know, uh, 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 co-workers, for right. example, and say, wow, they care so much about me. Around holiday times, they're asking me, how are you doing? Do you need anything? Do you need any help? Do you need any assistance? Those kinds of things. So one neighbor at a time, one classmate at a time, not a big grand plan, just a basic plan to care about the people around you so that they can at least know this is what I believe. This is who I am. And this is what I stand for. If you choose still to ignore all that, then I cannot do much. Yeah, on behalf of what you are discussing right now, because um, you said that um, when uh, a Muslim student, for example, starts to get more religious, so he has to, um, inspired by his religion, he will have a better impact yeah. on the environment around him. But I can imagine if someone not religious yet is listening to this podcast, um, maybe he or she will feel a burden because we mm. said also you have a, a, a bigger duty and you have to work harder uh, because of the bad images around um, yeah. being and getting more religious. So we don't want to give them a feeling of bar burden. We want, um, mm. how, how can we deal with that? Yeah. So we know, yes, we have to work harder, but um, we want to do it with, um, yeah, in, while we are being inspired and with energy, not yeah. um, from a perspective that's a yeah. yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> um, in the Quran, we... Uh, and even in the way the teachings are, are shared with us, uh, things are not this or that. So they uh, happen on a continuum. So somebody says that I don't pray, I will start to pray. I'll pray one prayer each day out of the five. Then next year I'll pick up and do two prayers, three, whatever. Uh, I don't fast, but I'll try fasting one or two days or maybe on the weekend like that. The biggest question is, not to say to them that your job is to go and defend Islam or to go and share the teachings or the message. The biggest thing is just be a human being. Just be a person who does this con concern you. You know, does, does it matter to you that people are hungry because of poverty? If it does, then choose one person to help or one neighborhood situation to help. The problem will be is that if we don't say this to them, you're right, they may be burdened or they feel, you know, it's very heavy. But on the other hand, their, Quran, their religion also teaches us, if you are very engaged and active by your religion, if you see something wrong, we are told to stop it with your hand. If not, then with your tongue, meaning to speak about it. If not, feel badly in your heart and remove yourself from the situation. But what's interesting, I can feel badly for a few minutes get my strength and my expertise, ability to maybe write or speak, then I'm back in the second category, then I advocate, I get lawyers, I get the system with me, then I come to stop with the hand. <laughs> you follow? Yeah. So there's, it's always a continuum. Yeah. We don't say to anybody, you are condemned for this status your whole life. No, today you are doing this, we make, we make dua for you, and if you cannot join us, you make dua for us. Make dua for us to succeed. I mentioned how little people who are organizing sleep or eat or spend time with their families. Sometimes their families are stressed because they're not seeing the husband or the wife or whoever is you know, the active person. And then maybe that's the dua you make. I cannot do anything more. Okay, fine, then just pray. 
do do not have to go and defend anything or work on anything. At least make dua for us while we work. Right. Right. You follow? Yeah. So it's a positive way, you know, of uh, making them feel welcomed. Right. Yeah. So there's also this concept conception about uh, Islam and the West being not being compatible. Um, we're in the Dutch society right now. Um, you uh, grew up in the United States, so you're also familiar with um, with this tendency. Um, what's your view on the compatibility of Islam and the West and the future of uh, of the society in that perspective? So I'm uh, raised in the U.S. Um, since the age of 10. So I actually don't know Eastern society. I know it until the age of 10. And then I'm raised in the West. And then I'm a Muslim. Um, I am, uh, uh, you know, academic um, professor. I'm a father. I mean, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a son to my parents. I'm a brother to my sisters. I'm, uh, you know, working in the university. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm working with, to serve with other organizations. I'm uh, fasting in Ramadan. I'm praying five times a day. When I have some time, I pray extra prayers. I read, read the Quran when I have time, when I'm on the plane, when wherever, you know, I feel like it. So what part of my religion am I not doing? <laughs> I went to Hajj, Alhamdulillah, last year. Alhamdulillah what part of the religion I'm not doing and what part of my values does anybody of what I said, who doesn't want someone to be a husband or a father or a, a brother or a son or a uh, have a career or a job, uh, serve their organizations. So what happened is that those who are watching the growth of Islam and watching the idea that people no matter how badly you talk about their religion, no matter how many movies you make to show how uh, angry and violent and radical Muslims are, no matter how much you convey negative messages in elections, still people keep practicing their religion, are happy doing so, succeeding in their lives, in their careers, in their family lives, alhamdulillah. Um, they're uh, uh, new people, are reading about the religion, learning about it, becoming Muslim. So if anybody talks about compatibility issues between the West and Islam, it's a false place to start because Bosnia is in the West and Muslims are have been in, for a long time in Bosnia. So Muslims came to the U.S., as uh, were brought to the U.S. as slaves since six, seven centuries ago. And they have been there, even though they couldn't practice as slaves, then their descendants and descendants and de descendants among the African-Americans are accepting Islam on their own and becoming a Muslim and practicing. So is it that we are not compatible? Or is it that the people who say that we are not compatible are uncomfortable that what they thought was the way of life is now being changed to be a different way of life. And instead of accepting that that's also an acceptable way of life, I want to make that seem like it's the backward way of life, incompatible way of life. You follow? So if we say to them, <clears throat> and then they say, well, because you base everything on your religion. Yeah. I said, okay, no problem. I said, do you want to put in the elections next year? that we discuss when is the weekend. Can we make the weekend Tuesday and Wednesday? 
No, of course not. It has to be Saturday and Sunday. Why? Because many of us, we were going to church on Sundays. Well, so you set the country up according to a religion. And now you're having people who are employees and others saying, by the way, you can keep that, no problem. But on Friday, I need one hour. Just one hour to go and to do my prayers and I come back and I'll do my exams or I'll continue my work or whatever it is I'm expected to do. I continue. Now, is the problem that you're facing that as more Muslims keep practicing and the religion keeps growing, Muslims have more a higher number of children than the majority society, is the problem that you are afraid that your own population is decreasing, your own way of life is being modified, and you are resisting change? If you're resisting change, let's talk about it. How can we help you feel more comfortable? Because there was a time when you, the Western modern uh, majority societies, came to our countries or our places in the East, if you will, and modified our society by force and said, oh, for example, many Muslim societies, the day began with the Fajr prayer and people went to work or they did whatever they needed to do and around the midday prayer, the Doha prayer time, maybe they took a break or they did whatever, then you came and said, no, no, the day begins at 9 a.m. Hmm. And so you modified the day. So now people who used to get up to pray and then wait, you know, and go about their day are now thinking, now what do I do for two, three hours before I go to work? Who did that? But we changed because we were under force. Now we have an open society. If we are not forcing you to change, why would you force us to change? And if we live this way, but we don't force you to live that way, what, how does it bother you? If you, for example, in the case of modesty, if you have one understanding of modesty and I have a different understanding of modesty, why do you get bothered that maybe your understanding of modesty means that you, doesn't, uh, uh, you, that you don't wear much clothing and, you know, uh, and that's how you feel it's okay? And then I say, actually, my sense of modesty is to wear more clothing or at least clothing covering my body and, and in the case of women, my hair. So what's bothering you? Is it that I'm so comfortable with my religion and my God and I'm still doing all those things that you thought I wouldn't do? I wouldn't go to become an engineer as a woman or I wouldn't become a medical doctor or a lawyer as a, as a Muslim and yet I'm doing it. So is that what's bothering you? If that's what's bothering you, come, let's have tea, let's sit, let's talk about it, let's help you feel better. This is not my problem. This is actually your problem mm -hmm. and we can help you. I find it very interesting how you approach this um, issue. And based on what you said, you know, we live in a society and we have a very diverse society in uh, di di uh, yeah, uh, differences in religion, differences in um, um, yeah, cultural backgrounds, but we have one society and we have one, uh, we have the same problems in our society. So for example, poverty is something we all share as a society and uh, racism is uh, also something we all share as a society. And my question is, um, when we have a, such a diverse society, um, at one point we have to look for the common grounds and the common problems and work together to solve them. But we see a lot of tensions, not only from um, 
when we talk uh, now about uh, religious differences and uh, we want to focus on the Muslim community, for example, the Muslim community, um, a lot of times there are some tensions of kind of tensions because they don't know how to cooperate with other non-Muslim organizations to solve a certain problem. But we also see um, yeah, some kind of uncomfortability from non-Muslim organizations of the rest of the society towards the Muslims to approach them and to work together and solve problems. So from your point of view and from your expertise, the previous year, what is your advice to solve this kind of... Um, yeah, so, um, you know, sometimes we say, the uh, we use the word dialogue too often and people think, I mean, how can dialogue solve everything? But the problem is most misunderstandings, most misconceptions, most miscommunication comes from a lack of dialogue, a lack of understanding, a lack of the ability to say to people, why do you say about us things that you don't know? How offensive is it? How offensive would it be to you if I came to you and just started saying this and that about your culture and about you know everything about your culture if i made fun of the windmills and the you know and the um, the the orange the use of orange for your national you know the the team's color and this that and the other then people it wouldn't make sense if i started saying things you would say no no live here for some time stay with us for some time learn our culture understand why we do things the way we do then we can talk well how about those of us who are already here, we're born here, raised here, working here. Why do you give us less time? Why are you less patient with us? So this has to happen from, that's why I said the college is the best time because everybody is here. As you said, it's like a microcosm of society. So you could begin these dialogues and then slowly extend them out to the community. So the students start to serve the community as a group. So when you go, you don't just go as Muslims from one background, one country. Go as Muslims for and other minority groups together and address poverty or hunger or drug addiction. And then when people look up, they say, oh, all these are from different backgrounds and they all are concerned about these social issues. How amazing. And then the, the, the fear starts to get lesser and lesser because they, they see it in practice. It doesn't happen from posters and pictures. It happens from action, actual action, where they can say, "Oh, I guess it can work." It's not possible. It's not uh, you know impossible. And people have a certain amount of energy and time. So I think when we yeah. start to focus on the similarities and what is our common uh, space, yeah. we will not have even time to and energy to waste on exactly. uh, differences and. Um... Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, coming back to to the campus. And, and students, um, what is in your perspective uh, how religion can inspire students to excel? So um, being religious, believing in a higher force, how can that motivate you to excel in your academic uh, career? You know, if you do anything, you do it well. And in there is no religion that I know that says, we hope you get by. <laughs> you know, we hope you are just surviving. Every religion talks about reach, reaching the highest state possible. 
you know, the notion of struggling to worship or to be spiritual or to connect with your God, uh, uh, the higher being, whatever they call it, they want to call it, to get to the highest level possible. And so when you come to campus, the obvious thing is that nobody wants to say, well, you know, I'm just getting by with my grades. Nobody. So your religion is telling you to do the best. You're inspired to do your best. So when you come to college, then do your best. And as I, as I said, do your best in academics. Do your best with maintaining good health, with good meaningful relationships with people, with serving society and you know, in being involved in good meaningful projects. So those things are connected. Sometimes people say, I will take like a vacation, a mini vacation from religion while I'm a student. And then when I'm after graduation, when I'm getting married, I will go back to uh, religion. Doesn't make sense. Because what's pushing you to be, uh, uh, to worship is excellence. And what's pushing you in the academics is excellence. Right. It's all intertwined. Exactly. And so hopefully by the time you graduate, you'll be an excellent whatever religion and ready as a good candidate for a career and for marriage. Right. Not somebody who has to rediscover who they are right. and spend all that time right. trying to figure out who they are. Right. That's exactly the, the vision that we have for ESA is to uh, make students combine their uh, religious identity and their academic identity at the same time and um, have their religion motivate them to excel in their academic, uh, academic career. Um, I study at a pretty diverse university, which I'm really glad about, but there are also universities and campuses which, which are less diverse. How would you um, advise a student who um, has a Muslim background um, and studies at a, a university which is uh, not as diverse and does not see uh, students who resemble, resemble his yeah. or her a lot? What advice would you give to that student in combining their religious identity and their academic identity and not feel like they have to keep, to keep their religious identity outside of the door yeah. when they walk into campus. Yeah. So those are the people who need the most support. And so if you are organizing at a national level, you should do the research and figure out which campuses are students going to need the most support. And then before they're, when they finished with the high school, secondary school before they go to college, maybe you have a one-week camp where all those first-year students who are going to go to these campuses where they are going to be a minority are invited and they stay together for one week and they have lectures and you know, uh, other activities to socialize and get strong. And you send them in by talking to alumni, people who graduated from those minority, uh, where they were minority, and get them to give them their good experiences and how they handled it. So that when they go in, they have uh, their first year, then in the middle of the year, do another camp or another activity and keep them connected so that they have a larger support system outside that local campus. Right. And someone might say, if you organize such a campus for a specific group, then you are creating segregation because you are providing uh, this facility just to them and we should make it bigger. What's your perspective on that? It depends. Like, for example, um, uh, before the season of any sports, they have, for example, uh, the football season, they are training for months, daily, eight hours at a time, taking minimum breaks and training, training, training. So that's the football season. But maybe... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, an, another sport 
basketball, for example, is starting in a different time. So they cannot say, hey, you are segregating. Why don't you tell us to come and, well, okay, fine. You want to practice mm -hmm. for eight months before your season? Come and do it. But what we're saying is we have a need and these, these people have a need and we are seeing that they may experience some difficulty. So we want to educate them, inform them. You are welcome to do that for your own groups. No problem. And if you want support from us, we will support you in terms of technical expertise and these things. But the reality is taking care of a group to prepare them to enter society is an amazing goal because you, you are saying to them, don't isolate yourself from society. We want you to go into the campus and be fully involved. Yeah, that's because I think it's also a matter of vision. On the long term, if you have the long term vision, you will see how it will benefit the society in a whole. Correct. So even Correct. if maybe if you look look only at the short term vision, yeah. you might think it's segregation yeah. or whatever, but you are preparing them for something bigger. So Correct. Um, Correct. Yep. That's how I feel. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Do you have any questions, Samira? Before we finish. I have any, a lot of questions, but do we you, have time? <laughs> <laughs> no, my flight is Sunday, as I said. <laughs> and it's only Friday, so we have time. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of topics with uh, which are bothering the students and uh, a lot of topics with, which will enrich the students as well. We had very um, enlightening insights. We got a lot of precious advices. Thank you. And yeah, Brahim. Yeah, yeah I, I, want to, I want to thank you for... Uh, giving us the time to uh, to talk to you um, this is exactly the vision that we have in mind for the podcast so basically provide a platform um, for um, interesting people to come talk to us and uh, talk about the challenges that students are facing and society at large uh, so I think we've uh, we've managed to do that before okay. Sunday. <laughs> so that's good. So I want to thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Um, before we finish off, um, you are um, part of a project that uh, I find really uh, beautiful. It's the uh, Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research. Um, can you tell us something about the vision uh, for starting uh, this institute yeah. and the vision on the longer term uh, yeah. that you have? So, um, you know, one of the challenges we're facing is that as we've spoken about in this podcast, the um, uh, over time, there is a major effort to create doubt in the minds of those who are outside of the Muslim community about Islamic teachings and to create doubt in the minds of the young people and even old Muslim uh, old people in the Muslim community about the Islamic teachings and how relevant they are and how uh, helpful they are to modern life. So doubt, to be removed, you have to have resources, and you have to have resources that are credible, uh, well-written, well-articulated, uh, well-produced in the best of ways in terms of video and uh, technology, multimedia. So we uh, were inspired by uh, uh, Sheikh Omar Suleiman, who uh, founded, who came with this idea, who founded the institute, and uh, basically said, how sh what should we name it? So when you talk about doubt, then you have to talk about removing doubt is certainty. And so in the Quran, that's where the word comes from, is that the idea that you will have certainty, yaqeen, you will achieve certainty, and these things will be shown to you. So we then translated that idea of resources to show people who are Muslims or not Muslims, who are Muslims with doubt, 
or uh, college students who want to write a paper but don't have good resources, now they have those papers. Now they have those uh, a journal. We have a journal. Uh, we have uh, short video uh, segments to give uh, you know bursts of knowledge so that people can build more from that. But that's the mission to remove doubt over time, right? And it's to help people uh, uh, really find uh, authentic, credible information uh, about Islam, uh, written from uh, again very uh, credible sources, so that they can then use it to to share with their uh, friends, colleagues, right. uh, academics. Yeah. yeah, may God bless this work. It's a very beautiful work, and I think it's needed in the Netherlands as well because um, we have a lack of um, well-written articles in Dutch. We have mm. a lot of resources and literature in English, mm. but we have a lack of um, the trans translation sure. of those work into Dutch. And we would so, love we would love to you know have our board you know speak to people yeah. in the community who are interested and who are already doing any kind of other institutes who would benefit from our resources translated into Dutch because we're already doing it for the Malaysian language, yes. Turkish language, uh, and soon Urdu. Uh, and uh, um, uh, that's the idea, is to disseminate as far and wide as possible. Right. Yeah. And if someone is uh, listening right now, where they, where can they go to to find more information about Yaqeen Institute and the articles? Sure. So they can go to yaqeeninstitute.org. There you go. .org. <laughs> yeah. And they'll be able to find it, inshallah. Great. And follow us on Facebook and yeah. like us. Yeah. Great. So um, final question. We spoke a lot about... Um, being a student at a campus, having a religious or biocultural identity. We are living in uh, interesting times um, and um, we see it in the media. There's uh, this proclaimed tension between um, having diverse uh, civilians and, uh, and, and, and civilians who are not that diverse. What is your vision for the coming years in terms of um, these societies at large? It's a big question. What is your vision for the for the upcoming period? And yeah. so, you know, um, <clears throat> in, uh, in uh, the US, uh, we have uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who was among the, you know, premier uh, civil rights leaders. And in one of the books, he wrote that basically about uh, a situation a world house, he called it. And we are now in Amsterdam, and you should visit. It's a place in Amsterdam called World House. And it houses uh, refugees and people who are looking and asylum seekers. Um, and that concept meant what? That the way we have now set up society, and he mentions specifically like Muslims and Hindus and you know Protestants and Jews and Gentiles, that because we can never again live apart, he says, we must learn to live together. So, I mean, what's going to happen? Do you want to return every single person who came from every different land back to their origin? Okay, fine. Then let's begin with that. <laughs> let's begin in the United States, for example. <laughs> what will that mean? Let's begin in Europe. What will that mean? Let's begin in any of the colonies. What did that mean? You know. So that's not going to happen. So rather than fighting while we're living together, the emphasis will be to learn how to live together. I have one final question. The final, final question. that was question. the final question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, yeah, you, we 
discussed a lot of topics during this podcast and um, you uh, as a person you mentioned some verses from the Quran more than once and my question to you is what is for you as Dr. Altaf one particular verse from the Quran which keeps inspiring you and motivating you to continue with the work you are doing so it's always it's many verses but at this time in my life and what we were talking about with diversity uh, it is to show and share with people there is a verse from surah al-hujurat and this verse is actually addressed to all of humanity so it doesn't talk about uh ya amanu which is usually a reference to people who have believed in the religion or who submitted into islam this one is talking about humanity. So I should share it with humanity. And the verse says, O mankind, O humanity, we have created you from a male and a female, and we divided you into nations and tribes. So we already accept diversity. <laughs> we divided you into nations and tribes. Why? So that لِتَعَرَفُ You may know one another. And ta'aruf in, in Islam is not just, you know, high and waving. It's actually getting to know the person, uh, working with them, living with them, sharing food with them, doing business with them. So we mean comprehensively. And then the biggest thing is, here is now the fight against uh, any kind of feelings of superiority. So God says he created us from male and female, so we recognize that. Then divided into nations and tribes, recognize diversity. Then our big goal is to get to know one another. And then anybody who is faith-inspired or believing person always wants to be considered noble in the sight of God. Not maybe human beings. I get a little bit excited if the president of the country says, you know, Dr. Samira Ibrahim, uh, or, or she says, in this case, you know, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Ibrahim did this. I get very, you know, but if it's God, I want to be in his sight, the most noble, then God says, the most noble in the sight of God is the one who is most God conscious. So suddenly every single human being who strives to be God conscious is ready to be in that uh, community. In that community. It doesn't matter their race, their ethnicity, their nationality, the social status in terms of economic back, socioeconomic background, education, nothing. Not any physical features, Nothing. All of humanity, male and female, nations and tribes, get to know one another. And then as you're struggling to uh, work in society, go and be the people who are most God-conscious. And in other parts of the Quran, it tells us that God-conscious are the ones who feed others, who are compassionate and kind and loving and caring, are merciful, all one thing. So that's what's lately been the most exciting you know, uh, uh, or inspiring verse. Uh, coming out of this uh, this trip. I'm very grateful for you for sharing this because I feel that in a way or another it wraps up all what we are talking about during mm -hmm. the podcast and it actually motivates, uh, inspired me and I hope that it will inspire the listeners as well to, um, yeah, to, to look again at this beautiful verse and to try to keep that in our mind while, walk, while walking during uh, the society and um, yeah, while meeting different people and sharing different activities with them. Yeah. Rahim, do you have to... Thank you very much. I want to thank you. Thank you again. And yeah. uh, I think this, this wraps up the whole conversation that we had indeed. Thank you, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, 
yeah, we're looking back at a successful podcast. Alhamdulillah. And uh, I want to close off. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>